Welcome to the Bank of Me podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance build strong cultures. Hosted by James Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. Hello and welcome to today's Deep Dive. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Seb Monk, the Chief Experience Officer at Lively. He's going to be telling us about his experience in his first 90 days leading in the organisation and draw upon his time at other larger organisations like Dyson and John Lewis Partnership. Seb, welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here with you guys. What I'd love you to tell us before we get going into some of the lessons you've learned leadership-wise and culture-wise is what is Lively and what do you do? Yeah, great question. So uh, Lively is a startup business. We are in the property tech space and we are a shared living community. What that means is we take great properties, um, we furnish them and then we we allow our members to come and live there. We take all the stress out of their living. We make sure that we provide all of the consumables, all of the rents, all of the all of the nifnaf that you don't want to have to worry about, we take care of. But by putting uh, people with like-minded interests into uh, into our homes, and we create a sense of community that looks to address some of the long-term challenges around moving to a great city like London. Sometimes it can feel a bit lonely. Sometimes you don't actually have any friends in common. You don't have an outlet for your interests and your passions. And we're looking to tackle all of that with Livly. So that's what we do. And as I said, Chief Experience Officer, I've been here now for just over nine weeks, uh, having recently joined from Dyson, as you mentioned. So tell us a bit more about your experience pre here, because I love the notion of community and membership. Absolutely, itself. absolutely. So I've uh, I've had what I think a, a recruiter would call a rich and varied background. So um, studied history at university, didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do after that. So joined the British Army, spent four years in a regiment called the Royal Green Jackets, part of uh, part of the infantry. Uh, left a month before 9/11 because I was bored and nothing was happening. So uh, hindsight's not one of my uh, or hindsight's great, but foresight's not necessarily one of my super strengths. <laughs> um, I then requalified as a lawyer, worked for a firm called Slaughter and May, and then spent 10 years working in the city as a corporate lawyer and in corporate broking. A couple of redundancies during the downturn post Lehman's uh, led me to sort of a, a real reappraisal of what it is I enjoy doing. And actually, what I enjoy doing and love doing is leading large teams of people, genuinely leading. I like selling things, and I like working with the public and with uh, sort of communities as a whole. And so I sort of reset my career, went, joined Waitrose as a branch management trainee, worked my way up there through to becoming from a sort of department manager to a branch manager to running all the stores in London, Kent. I was then head of customer experience at Waitrose before joining Dyson to set up their new direct retail business across Northern Europe. Very happy there for three years before I was headhunted to come and join Livly as the Chief Experience Officer. So that at a canter is my uh, my career. I'm 43 now, so I suppose, yeah, that's 22 years worth uh, in about two minutes. You, you've packed quite a lot into those years, though. Yeah, no, there. nothing boring, nothing boring. Getting that two-page CV is challenging off that lot. But yes, done quite a few things. And it, for me, life is about, you know, bit try perhaps but experience and trying new and doing different things and so that's that's what I've done I'm looking to pack in as much as I possibly can. 
Oh, I love it. And I'd love to draw upon the lessons from all of that. Yeah, I know. Well, absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do it. So so one of the areas I'm really keen to, to explore hmm. with you, because you're new in role, as you yes. say, is this whole notion around what a leader does in their first 60 to 90 days. Yeah. Because it's something that's so often talked about. We do loads of work, as you know, with, with execs going in for their first 90 days, leading, setting tone, culture, yes. and so on. Yeah. And and of course, it, the, the secret is being very intentional about it. Isn't yes, it? So I think you're absolutely right. How have you been intentional? What, what have you been doing? In well, your, this has been... Yeah, sure. This has been really interesting because like many execs, I have the, I have the book. I have the first 90 days on my bookshelf. And uh, what I've done, this was uh, first recommended to me by a great friend and mentor called Stephen Hyder, who's still at Waitrose, insisted I read it, read it, dutifully took notes. And he mentioned that, you know, every time he changes roles, this was the book I should, I should seek out and reappraise my approach. And so I did that every time I did this at Waitrose. I also did it at Dyson. And the book was looking down at me on the bookshelf this time. And I thought, I kind of know this now. I'm going to try and take a different approach. Because the big thing is now I've joined a startup. And so, yes, I've been very intentional in my approach. But I've also wanted to genuinely go in intentionally with my head up and with my eyes up and adapt to the situation as I found it. I think actually a lot of my preparation was done before I came. So what I've actually done is I've intentionally prepared for this physically and mentally for this new role in a way I haven't done before. I rested. I ate well. I really invested in my fitness. I was going to the gym you know, twice a day for the, in the weeks before I came here, I did a, quite a lot of strength training. I haven't been in such good shape bef- almost before I, since before I went to Sandhurst, which is quite a long time ago, but that's how well I felt, whether, you know, whether I was still as fast or as strong, I don't know, but there's certainly that intentional approach was there. I invested the first seven days consciously in building uh, the relationships across the company. You know, I drank a lot of coffee. I drank a lot of coffee with a lot of people. I invested a lot of time with the exec team and the CEO. But then I suppose there was this intentional period of observation and orientation to the company, um, to the challenges, everything from where are we with the business plan, where are we with the latest fundraise, right up up to where are we with our people, our culture, our operational efficiencies, um, what does our throughput uh, position look like? And so... What became very clear, though, was I think if you if you read the book, the start of it is about, you know, give yourself the luxury of taking no decisions for the first 30 days. I mean, that <laughs> does not fly in a startup at all. It doesn't fly many places anymore. No, I suspect, it, I suspect it probably doesn't. It didn't fly at Dyson. And here, I didn't even want... To, I think when I joined Dyson, though, I was very much like, I will... Because there's a whole chapter in the book about how you must maintain. You know, you must go to your boss and you must say that you will have 30 days. No didn't apply here. I think I had two days before actually I had to pick something up and wrestle with it, which was a, you know, a full end-to-end review of our, of our throughput position. I have pictures on my phones of, of, of post-it notes all over walls as we're trying to understand how do we remove waste through this throughput position. So I think you know, it's not only the investment itself, the investment in relationships, but I think investment in process and understanding came quite quickly. But also, it's that movement to action. And I, I remember saying, yes, I'm building my 90-day plan. I've built that out. I've brought it. I'm reviewing this with my CEO. We're holding to each other to account on the delivery of it. But also, there was this time when I sort of said almost tongue-in-cheek, well, I'm, I'm adding value already. I think it was day four. And, it, and there was just this, 
Yeah, I should think so too. <laughs> and there was no question that there would be this sort of luxurious time to spend time. I think I got a free pass at our first board meeting, which was on day five. I wasn't really expected to know everything on day five, which was faintly reassuring. Wonderful. But I love that notion that you started with there about getting in shape for, for this new yep. role. Because if anything else that we do in life, we would train for. Hmm. And the idea that we would just move straight from one to the next without giving ourselves a bit of time to train up for it. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy. It's and crazy. I did finish at Dyson on the Friday and I started here on the Monday morning. So I did just have one weekend between them, but I knew I was joining and I Yes, I absolutely invested in this like it was a physical event that I needed to compete into and that it has become much more of my mindset in terms of a total rounded view of self, actually. The, the, the physical and mental needs of the role, as well as actually just being here and being, being present, but actually investing whole self into this role. There is, uh, again, Perhaps a little trite and overstated, but you know there is no work-life balance. There is just life. This is this is now just an in, this is just me now, and I need to be I need to treat this with the respect that I do, making sure you know I'm in shape for the family and everything else. Particularly, not, I mean I'm not particularly old. I'm 43, but the old assumptions that you could I could abuse myself in the in my early 20s, I, I absolutely cannot now, and I need to make sure that I'm fit and ready for it. And, and I know you're a big advocate of, of our whole Bank of Me philosophy, so Absolutely. That, that plays to that. Absolutely. And and you came actually on our experiential programme, I, I know, which was fantastic to see you out there <laughs> in the rowing boat as part of your training. Yeah, um, blisters have just about recovered. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what impact did that have on you and how have you managed to use some of that that work in in the first few weeks of this role yeah so I mean it's it's absolutely absolutely been key I think it's the balance of nutrition sleep and rest and then exercise in terms of maintaining a strong core and I know you know it's not you know literally just one's own core but actually my, my sort of core beliefs and that, and that conscious investment of time and thought into self was something that I think in the past I have let go. Um, I've been on, you know, I've worked on deals, I've worked on transactions, I've worked through peak periods, like you know, I'm sure many of your your listeners have. But what I was what I was in the habit of doing was getting to the end of those, absolutely physically broken and exhausted, and just sort of this like sort of twitching wreck, dribbling on the sofa. No, no real good to man or beast. Certainly no good to my family, and actually needing time to recover. That is not sustainable for me anymore. It, I need to. I would far rather be operating at, you know, maybe ninety-five percent capacity for far longer than going, you know, right up to a hundred and then burning out. You know, you just burn your engine out. You, you do that in a car. You do that to yourself, and that's just not sustainable for me. I think what what it was a useful. I, I learned a lot on the course. Some of it was happy reminders of things that I should have known. If I think back to some Sandhurst lessons, and you know, this is late night, this is 1997, but we were, we were drummed into us. Sleep is a leadership function. You know, we were taught so much about sleep, not just from, you know, from the exercises and the, the, frankly, you know, the, the extreme sleep deprivation we all enjoyed from time to time, but actually how do you make sure the men and women under your command are given opportunities for sleep? How do you let them catnap? How do you make sure that if they are running a sleep deficit, you know, you were taught to count up the sleep deficit that your team, you know, your team, the team under your command had, and how do you re- rebuild that? How do you factor that into your operations? 
that was incredibly important. And so I thought sleep was very important, nutrition. I mean, we've absolutely changed the way we as a family are, are eating now. So there is not a sugary cereal in the house. They tried to smuggle it in every now and then, but yeah, oh, not, not much gets past it. Um, but actually, we are big bowls of porridge every morning for everybody. We are with lots of lots of nuts and grains going on, scrambled eggs every morning for the children that can eat it, allergies and stuff notwithstanding. So a very different approach to that, and the children are noticing it as well. So all of that has come out come out from it. And then the exercise is just not letting our exercise routine drop off. So it's for me, we, it's worth going to bed earlier in order to get on the bike at six and do half an hour intense exercise get out for a run uh, all of that is absolutely key to what i'm doing now and maintenance of self so you know that's the start there all time i know there are going to be times when this crops off but i think i know that one of your colleagues owen gave me some great advice which was don't think about this as a routine think about this as every day what can you do today what can't you do the other thing i've i suppose i've taken on board is being kind to yourself there are some times when actually do you know what I'm recovering from a cold. I'm probably not going to go and do half an hour's exercise now because it's just not clever. That's all right. I'm not going to feel guilt about it. I'll hit it when I can, um, when I'm feeling ready to. But as long as I'm doing that, that's okay. Yeah, and you're so right. You know, that being kind to yourself is such an important part of yeah. being a high performer, isn't it? Well, I, I think so. I like the Bob Dylan quote, dig yourself. Yes. And that's a that's a, a something I talk to my team about, and something I do in my in my mentoring. You know, if you can't if you can't dig yourself, then you've absolutely got no hope of helping anybody else under your leadership. Yeah, that's a big lesson there. So two two lessons. Yeah, you learn the hard way. You yeah. learn the hard way, but that was mine. Well, and and so dig yourself being one leadership. Yeah, yeah. Lesson. Sleep being another leadership. Sleep lesson. is a leadership function. Um, dig yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So t- tell us what are your other kind of leadership lessons that you you can share for those other God. leaders listening. It's got to that time in my life where I get to opine on leadership. This is a great moment. Uh, so, I I suppose a couple of a couple of watchwords. Then um, a big believer in the fact that leaders lead. And managers manage and you've got to decide pretty soon what do you want to be yeah do you want to be a leader or do you want to be a manager because there are big differences and i think one of the challenges is that the word has almost become interchangeable um very few i think comes down almost to job titles very rarely do we actually see leader in people's jobs title and then we're surprised when people only end up managing and managing has a i think a diff- very different experience for many people in terms of in terms of how i suppose i think about it First of all, I don't identify the leadership style that you want to want to embody, that you want to live. Um, you do have to live it. You can't just laminate it. This isn't something that you you write up when you're on a course and then you put it in a drawer or you put it on the wall proudly. You've got to live and breathe it every single day. And so I think identify it. And again, this came from a great colleague and, and friend and mentor at Waitrose. You just taught, taught me how to articulate this in a couple, a couple of words, a brief sentence. So mine, for what it's worth, is that I'm trying to find the balance between happiness and success for myself, for my family, and for my team, and that works for me. But when I'm when I'm working with my team on their own leadership styles, what works for you? What do you want to be? What is your outcome that we get? So if your style then leads to your outcome, what do you actually do? You know, a great, an often made challenge at Sandhurst from these incredibly experienced colour sergeants who who train you, um, was, why would I follow you? Yeah. And they asked us this with, you know, different ranges of expletives inserted, depending on what you've just done. But why would I follow you, sir? 
Mom, why would I follow you? And the classic insult was, I would not follow you to the shops out of curiosity, but why would I follow you? And I think if you ask that question of yourself often, then that works well. Uh, for me, as I talked about, it's happiness and success. I think the concept of servant leadership is often um, underplayed. I think, again, you know, the, the, the cult of military leadership has become overplayed over the last 10, 15 years, sort of obsession with its sort of strong leadership style and you know, the Churchillian approach to leadership. I actually think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the, what the military do. Sure, it has a time and place, but military leadership is not about shouting and screaming and stamping your feet. You would not get very far as a young officer if that's what you did. It is around servant leadership. It is actually about investing in one's team, um, that we have leaders uh, to support our teams and to help them be successful, hopefully happy as well. And so actually identifying the job to be done, setting the direction collaboratively with the team, delegating then to the team so they feel that they are enabled, literally, genuinely enabled to go and deliver and then coaching them and mentoring them to success. That is the model that I would like to hold up for leadership. Sometimes I fall short of, short of that and I, I know that and feedback around one's own performance is, is very important. But that, I suppose, is the theory. And that's the theory I would sort of espouse. And, you know, that's what I try and do. And that's what I try and teach. Yeah. And I, I mean, we have a shared belief that that piece around authentic leadership only happens when you truly understand yourself, your drivers. Absolutely. Your and I know I was with a group only this week doing exactly that and getting them to think about actually how much of the time do you lead as your authentic self? Yes. And, and seeing light bulbs go on, you know, in mm. their heads around... Gosh, yeah. How often do I ask myself that question? Yeah. And what could I be doing to lead more yeah, authentically? No, no. So I think, you know, you having that really clear, I've noticed throughout the time we've known each other, yeah. has been a real guiding guiding principle for you. A lot yeah. of the time, I think, without even realising it for you, it's just there. And then bringing it to the forefront of your consciousness on a regular basis Thank is a you. really good habit as a leader. It, it is. And it's, I mean, look, preparing for this this conversation is obviously, you know, again, you, you go back, you you write things down, you refresh things. I think... Leadership values need to be refreshed often. It can become stale. You've got to think whether it still works. There's no doubt I'm adapting a different leadership style to the challenges uh, that are different at Livley than they were at Dyson and John Lewis and you know, in, in the city and in, and in the infantry before that. But generally, an, an ability to humbly examine performance and authenticity and the vulnerability that comes with leadership is is a key part of that and that you, you often hear one reads about you know the sort of megalomaniac side to leadership I'm uh, I'm not a buyer of that but but you mentioned just then one final area that I'm keen to explore mm. which is how you've had to adapt coming into Livley compared to the bigger organizations in Dyson you yeah know, you mentioned, and John Lewis and Waitrose and so on so so just tell us give us a couple of things that you have sure. intentionally noticed yourself doing Yes. Um, flexing, adapting in this yeah. different environment. So we had a number of um, conversations before I was joining my, my, my Phil, my, my CEO and, and the founder of Libley. And we talked about the fact that in a company that is as small as Libley with, what are we now, probably 40, 45 employees, that actually what I do matters. What we as an exec team uh, do matters. And so that increase in visibility, and particularly as a member of the you know the senior exec on the C-suite, I think it's called. So 
everything is amplified. And so just having to be very mindful and conscious of decisions, actions, form, manner has, has been part of that, that intentional side. And you know, you, I think it's very hard to be intentional all day, yeah. every day. That in itself is not by nature a particularly authentic, I don't think. But that, that, so that, has, that has been one thing, just being very intentional about um, performance. Honesty has been fascinating. There, not since my time you know, in late 90s, back in the forces, when you, are we all in the same boat? There is absolute honesty within the company, and there has to be, because we will all fail if we are not absolutely honest about what is going on. There is no room for politics at all. And to, to Phil's huge credit here, the culture is one of brutally honest exchanges of views in, in meetings at all levels, um, without hierarchy, because if people are not able to say what they think, we will take bad decisions or we'll take decisions that are perhaps not well thought through and the company will, will fail. So you know, something, again, I learned on, bank, on the bank of me was how do you make your part of the boat go faster? Well, here, everybody is pulling in the same direction. Mm. And we can't also allow any assumptions to creep in. We have to sink uh, the business and we'll build sync with a Y, so synchronize the business up totally based on maximum performance and not perhaps an assumption that, well, we won't go full pace because they can't go full pace. So the, the need for communication and honesty is very clear, but it's also quite a tough message in its own right. So that ability to be brutally honest in a, in, in public, in a meeting room, and then, and then, and then crack on with the rest has been, again, a really big part of uh, that transition over the last sort of nine, ten weeks. Yeah. And, and more to come, right? Exactly that. I mean, we're only nine, ten Yeah, weeks, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah. we're already having a big impact. And what, yeah. what people listening can hopefully hear yes. uh, in the tone that you have is the smile on your face. <laughs> it's just, you are loving this. this I am absolutely and loving I it. I really get the sense that you're loving it in so many ways, but being mm. able to bring in all of that year, you know, year's worth of experience yes. uh, into a fresh environment where you can very quickly be yes. yourself yes. and really make stuff happen with absolutely. great people around. Yes, I mean, and the team here are are absolutely fantastic. You know, we are we are convinced that this will be a billion dollar business. I'm utterly committed to to building that with this wonderful team, and yeah, it's an absolute privilege and pleasure to be part of it. So uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. Well, a privilege to have you on our podcast. So thank, Seth, you, so thank you so much for joining us. I know you'll be back. Absolutely, I will be back. And uh, I think we might do a couple of uh, little bursts with you of, of top tips as well. Well, that so. would be an utter pleasure. So um, any way I can help. Um, but yes, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Seb. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.